Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 6th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we discuss a leadership change in the U.S. House of Representatives and take stock in the state of the Republican Iowa Caucus campaign. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. We have the full team back with us this week. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton here. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Hello, and happy Vectoberfest to all who celebrate. <laughs> Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is with us. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. We also have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. Aaron, I'm updating my uh, LinkedIn, and I'm going to be sending uh, links off to uh, Congress uh, ASAP. <laughs> I, think I, I think I might be the man they need. It can't hurt to throw your hat in the ring. What, what's the worst that could happen? Actually, don't answer that. <laughs> Finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hello. All right. First up this week, for the first time in our nation's history, a U.S. House speaker was removed by a vote of the membership. A small portion of House Republicans voted to oust former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And with Republicans' slim House majority, those eight dissenting votes were enough to boot McCarthy from the post. None of Iowa's four Republican U.S. House members voted to remove McCarthy as Speaker, in case you're wondering how your Iowa representative voted. Their next big vote now will be on who to replace McCarthy with. Two early candidates uh, that have thrown their hat in the ring, other than Jared now uh, being the third. Our Congressman Steve Scalise, who is probably more in the McCarthy lane, so to speak. You know how political reporters love to talk about lanes. And uh, another one is Jim Jordan, who is a member of the House Freedom Caucus, a little closer aligned to that group that voted out McCarthy. Um, Tom, you've been uh, trying to ask around and you talked to one of them. Uh, do we know yet who any of Iowa's Republican members of Congress, who they plan to support for the new speaker? Yeah, so at least two of them have publicly stated that they plan on supporting uh, Steve Scalise. Um, so Iowa Republican House Representatives Ashley Henson of Marion and Marionette Miller-Meeks of Ottumwa said publicly today, Thursday, um, that they will support Scalise as the next House Speaker. It's interesting, though, worth noting that Henson uh, spoke to uh, reporters this morning uh, during a visit to Mount Mercy University in Cedar Rapids and said that she had spoken with both Scalise and Jordan in the last 24 hours, but had a little bit more deliberating that she wanted to do before she announced her decision publicly. Roughly an hour later, Henson's office sent out a statement saying that she supports Scalise. In that statement, she said that we need a speaker who will unite, excuse me, uh, unite our historically thin majority so we can put the drama behind us and help deliver the most conservative legislation possible uh, as we are faced with several looming and important deadlines, um, you know, those being uh, averting a government shutdown, you know, or I should say passing spending bills. Um, to avert a possible government shutdown. Uh, the House a week or so ago passed continuing alert resolution to keep the government funded through November 17th. Um, so you've got that deadline coming up. Um, and then you also face a deadline for um, authorizing and um, continuing the flow of uh, military equipment support to Ukraine. Um, Henson called Scalise a principal conservative who's overcome adversity um, far beyond the infighting in our conference right now. 
it's worth noting that Scalise in August announced that he had been uh, diagnosed with a treatable form of, of blood cancer. Um, he also was among several people wounded in 2017 when um, a rifle-wielding attacker fired on lawmakers at a, at a baseball field in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, outside of Washington. Um, Miller Meeks posted on social media um, as well that she plans on backing Scalise um, uh, in his um, bid for uh, uh, leading House Republicans and, and for the speakership, said that he she believes that Scalise will unite and continue the great work for the American people. Um, I also reached out to um, uh, fellow Iowa Republican U.S. Representative Zach Nunn's office. Uh, he sent a statement saying that he's waiting to hear from all candidates running for the speakership before making a decision. Um, he said he wants to, uh, yeah, again, have the opportunity to, to hear from everybody running about their vision uh, to take on the D.C. bureaucracy, balance the budget, secure the border, uh, support critical programs like Medicare and Social Security that uh, everyday Iowans rely on. Um, have not gotten a response uh, back from uh, Randy Feenstra's office, so not exactly sure uh, where he falls or where he stands. Um, and then just lastly, one interesting thing from uh, speaking with Ashley Henson this morning, um, she well, she 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 heavily criticized Matt Gates um, in the House Freedom Caucus um, that uh, joined with uh, unified House Democrats to successfully oust McCarthy from the speakership, uh, calling him the captain of the Chaos Caucus. Um, in saying that uh, McCarthy's ouster was atrocious and abhorrent and uh, saying that she's hopeful that uh, we as an institution can uh, do better uh, than that going forward. But the interesting thing is she talked about how the House needs to revisit its rules and mechanisms for ousting a speaker. Um, so in order to appease the hardline House Freedom Caucus and secure its speakership, one of the major concessions McCarthy made was to reinstate a procedural mechanism called the motion to vacate the chair, which allows a single member to call a vote to oust the speaker. And Henson said that if one member has this much power over the entire institution, I think that's a big problem. So she said she's hopeful that we can take a look at that, make sure that this kind of breakdown in the process doesn't happen again, because uh, I can certainly tell you that Matt Gates isn't the one suffering right now. It's the people of this district who are worried about the uncertain times ahead for Congress. Um, although, interestingly, when I asked um, if McCarthy was to blame for that breakdown in the process and was to blame for the House turmoil, you know, due to the concessions that he made to the House Freedom Caucus, Henson's response is that McCarthy, uh, in her estimation, has kept every promise he made to those folks, and that uh, this is, uh, again, um, the result of a personal vendetta playing out by um, Matt Gates on the House floor. Um, I would, um, sorry, go ahead, Jared. Oh, yeah, I was just going to note, too, um, I think it was on uh, NPR on Tuesday after the vote, happened um miller meeks was pretty critical of Ga uh, matt gates too um she talked about him siding with democrats and uh, referred to matt gates and the other people that voted uh to oust kevin mccarthy as matt gates and his minions um wow not 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 as uh critical as i think it was chip roy saying matt gates could kiss his ass but you know still fairly critical to be hearing that from members of your own party jerry this is a family podcast <laughs> That's that, that's still within radio uh, boundaries. I was a DJ for many years. I know what I can get away with. Oh, I want to dive into that a little bit more and on, that, on, on, on another podcast. We won't get into that now, but I think that's fascinating. <laughs> um, 
I, I had to go back, Tom, something you said about Hinson and the uh, motion to vacate thing and, and uh, her having concern um, of about one member being able to um, essentially stop the whole body. Uh, if, if and when Chuck Grassley retires, uh, one of the most popular, and this is nothing official, but one of the most popular rumored uh, people to run for that Senate seat would be Ashley Henson. And, and uh, I have bad news uh, for her over in that body about this little thing called the filibuster too. So <laughs> uh, you can't escape it. Um, yeah. So that that's interesting uh, that we already have two on board for uh, Scalise and, and, you know, all four voted against removing McCarthy. So I wonder if that means, will they all kind of fall into you know, I don't know what to label Steve Scalise as the consensus or the moderate or whatever the terminology is, the, the not Freedom Caucus candidate in this um, race so far. Or or does someone um, go for Jim Jordan? I, I, I guess I'd be surprised, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. All right, moving on. Uh, this has been a relatively slow week on the caucus campaign trail. So I thought this would be a good time for us to have a little more in-depth discussion about the state of the race than we normally have time for. Usually we're talking about this cattle call event or that issue du jour. So this somewhat quiet week, I thought, gives us a chance to really dive into the campaign. Uh, so let's have a freewheeling, really in-depth discussion here uh, about all things Republican presidential caucus related. And I'll get the ball rolling with a question for Todd, let him kick us off, and then everybody else uh, just take it from there. So Todd, the kickoff question for you is very simply, can Donald Trump be beaten in the Iowa Republican presidential precinct caucuses? Yes, he, he can he can be beaten. Okay, that's um, it, folks. Thank you. Oh, you have more <laughs> that's time. it. That's <laughs> it. Uh, it. But, you know, in the past where you've seen sort of favorites get, you know, blindsided by sort of an insurgent candidate, it's been somebody that's worked hard and been in the state a lot and then sort of catches fire catches the imagination of 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 uh caucus you know republican caucus scores way back in in 96 uh steve forbes jumped in the race and for a time there he led bob dole in the polls in iowa he faded he faded by caucus night but he totally sort of changed the race you know rich guy says we should play play uh, pay a flat tax a flat tax yep so uh there was that there's, you know, Huckabee sort of was one of those candidates that people went out and saw and they decided they liked. He was, he was kind of funny and decent speaker and had a good personality and, and Rick Santorum too, with his, with his, you know, pie and his sweater vests and all that stuff. But I just, I'm not sure there's anybody in this field who could be that candidate. I just, I mean, I think there's some support out there for Ron DeSantis, but I, he just, you know, he's just not one of those candidates that's going to, you know, just energize, suddenly energize a huge segment of the Republican base. He's, you know, he just, he's just not that kind of candidate. Right. Uh, and the rest of them, I mean, you know, they're going to get their support, but also they're just not, there's just nothing about them that, you know, screams, hey, let's get on this train and leave Trump's train. I mean, it's just, I don't know. That's, that's what I see. If something like that happens, though, I mean, he can lose it. I mean, DeSantis could come close and and hurt him. I mean, he does have a lot of support among you know the 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 conservagentsia in the state Republican <laughs> Party, but but I don't you know I don't know how that translates to rank and file. They 
they still really like the guy so or they like trump so i guess we'll see yeah i i i think i more or less agree with you i I think it's it's possible i think it's very possible even um but it's just it's getting to a point where you feel like you got to start seeing something that suggests someone else can make that move and 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 i i we haven't yet and and with each day and week that passes there's less time for that to happen now i don't know maybe this is i mean this is such a unique cycle in so many ways with trump being a de facto um incumbent which is is unique in, in a lot of ways and also someone who's in a lot of legal trouble with which presents its own kind of um interesting potential for impacts there um so maybe this is a, a, an unusual year maybe we see something this year that hasn't happened before where that break does happen super late and maybe all of a sudden literally within the last I don't know three or four weeks so is when I mean I I genuinely don't know but it's looking more and more like if it's going to happen it's going to happen that way because there's just not anyone emerging out of that pack and well and this would so- be a this this would be a one of those perfect scenarios where if there were some big names out there that aren't in this, could they, you know, could someone jump in and, and sort of, you know, catch the lightning in a bottle and someone new, they've heard these other guys, here's someone new. I don't know who that is. I mean, you're telling me Glenn Youngkin maybe is that I, 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 I don't believe it. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there really isn't anybody, but yeah, this would be one of those primary scenarios where, I, I'm not sure the Republican voters are all that excited. Uh, I mean, they, you know, even some of the ones that are supporting Trump are, are worried that he can win. So, I mean, I just, I think if there were someone outside, maybe, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln could, could you know, be cloned or something, <laughs> something like that. Jared, you yeah, were going to say something. Well, yeah, just, just kind of starting broader first. It is weird that we are into October now and there still doesn't seem to be a clear strategy that's been presented and to beat Trump because the guys that are running being super critical of him are dead in the polls right now, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson. And the ones that have taken a special care to suck up to him and defend him as much as possible, they're not doing any better in the polls really either. They've just kind of like, you know, Vivek and even DeSantis, although DeSantis has been a little more critical than Ramaswamy, they haven't really benefited from that either. So you have those two extremes of strategies for running a campaign, and those don't seem to be working. So there, I don't know what other really approaches are left for candidates to even try. Yeah, I, I guess the only way, you know, before the January, you could see something changing is if, you know, three or four of these candidates drop out of the race and, and coalesce behind somebody. Um, I mean, that that happened later in, you know, before Super Tuesday in 2020 with Joe Biden is what kind of got him um, the support to to beat uh, Bernie Sanders in that primary. But, um, you know, Trump's 46-ish, 45, 50% of support in Iowa hasn't changed for months. And, you know, Nikki Haley, DeSantis, Tim Scott are kind of battling it out for that 55%. But like, it's not going to do anything if there's four or five candidates in the in the race. And and even polling, you know, I, I see polls that put just Trump and DeSantis against each other and Trump still beats them. So, I mean, there are, there are right. some people who maybe are looking at somebody else 
but if it was a two-man race, they would still go back to Trump. So it, it, it's hard to see uh, and, a situation where. And what you're describing, Caleb, I assume you mean like if somebody drops out, it almost has to be one of those second, one or two of those second tier ones too. Like, yeah. like Asa Hutchinson and Perry Johnson dropping out isn't going to change anything. Right. Um, but if, if you know, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and Mike Pence all drop out, does all of a sudden Ron DeSantis's uh, support shoot up? Yeah, yeah, that, that, I, and to your well, point, I, I want to start. Sorry, just really quick, um, Jared, and, and then we'll come back to you. Um, it's it's almost remarkable in its consistency. I'm looking at real clear politics rolling average of national. Now, this is the national one. Oh, no, this is Iowa. I'm sorry. In Iowa, their, their rolling average of Iowa polling. And Trump has literally um, since June been in the 40s, between 40 and, and, a, and a peak of 50.7. Uh, but other than that, he's been in the 40s the, the whole time. That number is just not moving at all since june go ahead jared well and another problem too um is that even some of the the second tier folks they don't have a lot of reason to drop out even if their polls aren't great because they're all pretty well-funded campaigns Mm ramaswamy's got a lot of his own money even someone who's like down in the single digits like doug burgum he's got plenty of his own money so he doesn't really have a reason to drop out you know he's the governor of north dakota so this only helps him to to get some more shine and you know tim scott's got plenty of money in his campaign so even some of those reasons to drop out aren't really there yet for any of these people yep so so who out of that pack you know we all go out to these events and and we see you know the crowds and we talk to people who do we feel who has the best chance to and and i'd say other than desantis too um because he's kind of a unique um thing here too so so for the rest of the group, uh, Ramaswamy, Scott, Haley, um, Pence, Christie, although we never see him. Is there anybody that you guys think that you've seen? Does anybody have a feeling that uh, that any of those teams better positioned or more poised? Or are you feeling any juice at events you've been to lately? Who, who, do, who do you think has maybe a, a little better chance of if someone's going to emerge from that pack, who might it be? I think I think Nikki Haley's got a good shot, um, not necessarily of, of beating Trump in the caucuses, but of if she does well against DeSantis or even beats DeSantis, takes second place. Um, you know, she's already doing really well in New Hampshire and South Carolina. So that could really set her up as, um, you know, winning that uh, conversation of who the alternative to Trump is. Um she has, I think she didn't have the name recognition and the buzz that Ron DeSantis had going into the primary. Um, but after the debates, I think people are um, giving her another look. Um, I think that she uh, sends across and I was at an event for her Saturday. And, you know, this was the um, comments I heard from people, you know, she sends across more of a, um, a uh, ethos of, you know, having a credibility and uh the word I'm, th- I'm thinking of um just being able to get get things done she she that's kind of or, or being, being she's got uh, leadership sensible, vibes yes leadership that there you go being a sensible uh you know uh approach to uh and having a sensible approach to things you know um DeSantis uh you know goes for that too he he has a record in Florida of, of doing a lot of you know a lot of impressive things uh if that's your politics but um I think I think Haley has that same uh attitude so and Haley's been really leaning into the like general election message that she could beat um, Biden more so than Trump. So, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like Republican primary voters or, or caucus goers are really interested in a candidate that can beat Biden. They're more interested in somebody who aligns with their own values. 
Um, but I was impressed to see it. I went to an event uh, a few weeks ago um, in rural Clinton County and a few hundred people showed up and they said they were expecting like 50. So, um, that so was she is, so she is okay. yeah, yeah. So she is drawing, you know, quite a few people, obviously not as many as Trump, or I'm not sure what kind of numbers DeSantis is, is, is pulling to his events, but, um, but that was, I think, significant. Yeah. We'll and see this weekend, to... right, Tom? We will. Well, who, yeah. What, yeah, who, who DeSantis is pulling. Sorry, go ahead and finish there. Oh, sorry. And I just said, I've, I feel like I've been to several of her events. She had some events here um, in Scott County, like even before she announced for uh, the presidency. And she seems to have polished her her message quite a bit since when she first and i'm sure all of the candidates have but um she's been in scott county or in eastern iowa several times so i could just see that but also and one other thing i'd say is that i'm not sure what to make of this but a lot of people i talk to say that they're also looking at tim scott and i'm not sure if that's just because he's like a likable guy or if they're actually like considering him like as their as a top choice but um but that is also something that i hear yeah, I've been hearing Tim Scott's name for a long time. I just been it it he he seems to be the 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 perennial number two or number three guy. He's on everybody's list, but he's hardly anybody's number one. Um, and uh, and I don't know if that's a spot he can move out of for those people. That that's that, that that's kind of the the breed that I'm picking up when I talk to people. Anyways, I because I'm I'm with you, Sarah. I hear his name very very often. Um, but I, but obviously he's just not anybody's number one or not nearly enough to to make a difference in the poll. So he, so he kind of feels like the guy that a lot of Iowa Republicans really like, but but very few have as their as their first pick because of how early um, South Carolina is in the proceedings. Nikki Haley and Tim Scott in particular would probably benefit the most from overperforming or doing well in Iowa of any of the non-Trump folks. That's true. Yeah. Cause that they could carry that into um, you know, obviously New Hampshire's next, but then um then South Carolina after that. And um if they have some juice coming out of Iowa, then um take that to, to New Hampshire or to South uh coming out of Iowa, take that to to South Carolina. Home court advantage. That's right. Man, I'm looking at the the averages there though. I mean the, the Trump is up by 30 some points in, in, in those ones. Although Haley is second in, in South Carolina. Um, yep. So she's ahead of, of DeSantis in South Carolina. Trump's uh, it, it Trump's up big in New Hampshire as well. DeSantis is second. The difference there is Chris Christie is third um, in New Hampshire. So New Hampshire's um, weird. It seems like, uh, uh, cause there, there's been some polls that have Haley ahead of DeSantis in New Hampshire too. So it's like Haley, DeSantis, and Christie, and even Ramaswamy sometimes all just kind of fighting for second place there. Yeah. And yeah. the interesting thing, you know, about all this is like, we're talking about this and it, all of it is who's going to take second place because, because Trump is right. just so far ahead of them. Right. Right. And, and so it's, yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead and finish, Caleb. I, that, that was all. That was all. Got okay. And I, and I was just going to say to that, because, because that I think is an interesting question too, um, to talk about is we, we talk about you know, someone needing to do something in Iowa to, to take momentum out of the state. Um, I'm constantly having to remind our national friends that you don't have to win Iowa. In, in fact, look at the history. Um, the, the eventual nominee has not been picked in Iowa uh, for a little while now. You got to go back. Um, uh, Ted Cruz was not the nominee. Rick Santorum was not the nominee. Mike Huckabee was not the nominee. Um, 
So you don't have to win Iowa, but you you do have to come out of the state showing relevance and and ideally with some with some momentum. Um, and so my question is, what does that have to look like this year? Like I I agree with uh, uh, um, you, Caleb. You, I, you, nobody has to necessarily beat Donald Trump in Iowa, um, but somebody's got to do something. They can't finish second with seven points either, right? A, a, sec, a seven point second place finish is almost the end of the, the primary at that point. I, I feel I almost feel like I, that sounds like a, a, a mouthful to really say, but I, I don't know. I feel like if nobody can do better than that here, then it's essentially over because he's going to smoke the field in New Hampshire, too. What, what's what's the magic number? What does somebody have to get to in Iowa and or? Here's another question that's in the same vein, that the historical um, wisdom um, and Jason Noble, former Des Moines Register reporter, has a wonderful podcast called Three Tickets, um, which is that there's the, the, the historical um, uh, wisdom has been there's three tickets out of Iowa. If you you got to finish one, two or three to still be alive for the nomination. My question is, are there three tickets out of Iowa this year in the Republican caucus? I don't know that there are. I think there's two. I think it's Trump and whoever can come closest to him. Anybody else agree or disagree with that? No, I I, think... I, I completely agree with that. Sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Oh no, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say I I completely agree. You know, when you're looking at the polling and you're looking at the political landscape and you look at just how um, commanding of a lead Trump has right now and just the the hold that he has on the Republican Party, both nationally and in Iowa, um, you know. I, I don't see that a third place finish is really going to get you anywhere, going to help propel you and give you the momentum um, that you're going to need going into some of the early nominating states. It just it seems like in third place, there's going to be too much ground there to have to make up that um, it, it, it's not really going to do you any help and any favors. And I mean, if, if things don't change measurably between now and um January 15th, when the Iowa caucuses roll around, I mean, even second place right now might not do a lot to, to really, you know, help you going forward to try and, and, and gain the nomination for all the reasons that Aaron and everybody else um, have said. Sarah, yeah, what were I, you going to say? I was just going to say, <laughs> like, uh, sorry, um, that I think an, another, like, you talked about, like, what's the percentage to be, you know, competitive? And I think it really depends on what the expectation is going in. If like DeSantis is polling, polling at like 18% and then he polls 30%, like that's going to be a lot different than if he's polling 25% and polls 18 or 15%. So I think that will definitely inform the narrative, especially in the national media. And that's what the rest of the country and other early states are going to see. And so that's something, while maybe not definitive of a campaign success, it certainly build some momentum for them to, to, to build on. Yeah. Caleb, yeah. Caleb, let me come to you next, but just to um, add to tack onto that really quick, Sarah, that is a fantastic point. One of the smartest things I was ever told um, uh, a few years back in this is that um, by, by uh, an expert on these things is that the caucuses are as much as anything about performance versus expectations. So Ron DeSantis finishing at 19 points, will be viewed differently than Nikki Haley or Tim Scott finishing at 19 points um, because DeSantis has been there and the expectations coming in to this were for him to be 
a legitimate challenger. So, so if DeSantis is in those mid teens, that's going to be uh, met with a shrug. Whereas if, you know, Vivek or Tim Scott or someone leaps from that bottom of the pack and gets into the teens or even close to 20, that's a much bigger deal, even though the numbers are similar because they then have exceeded expectations. That's a great point, Sarah. Caleb, you were going to say. Yeah, kind of a similar thing, but um, you know, if, if, if polling in South Carolina and New Hampshire kind of remains similar and Nikki Haley does have that, um, you know, close to second place spot there, if she, uh, even if DeSantis takes second and Haley is, you know, three or four points uh, away and, you know, they're both in the mid teens, um, uh, you know, that could be the, that third ticket, um, a third place. That could be a situation where third place does um, mean something because, you know, that, that'll give uh, people in those other early states uh, confidence in her and maybe some lack of confidence in DeSantis. So it could, it could swing things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something, go ahead, Jared. Something else that does not help anyone coming out of Iowa besides Trump is the fact that, and we haven't talked about it much because he's not even bothering here, is the fact that Chris Christie is doing decently in New Hampshire that doesn't benefit any of the non-Trump people. That only benefits Trump. It doesn't even benefit Christie to be doing well in New Hampshire and really no place else. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. He just he, he for whoever it is that that may manage to come out of Iowa with momentum. Now they've got one extra hurdle uh, to to cross in in their next state. Um, and uh, and it's Chris Christie. They got to try and find a way to dig into his. Um, they got to they got to duck him. <laughs> Oh man, this comedy needs to be left to the experts. I don't know how politicians have not figured this out yet. There were a couple of moments, and we were talking about the other one before we came on the air. We'll spare you all that one. But uh, from that last debate, uh, where a couple of the candidates tried to make some jokes, and I don't know that they landed with very many uh, people. Oh goodness! Um, for some historical context, as we talk about the three tickets thing in 2016, Ted Cruz won at 27.6%. Trump was second at 24.3. And Marco Rubio was third at 23.1. And it and, and it's it's just really hard to see this race looking anything remotely like that. Now, could it look something like what Caleb described? Um, um, that would be interesting. I mean, obviously, Trump is going to be barring some just unbelievably earth-altering event that uh, again we've said this before if if the things that have already happened haven't moved the needle god to help us what the thing is that does um uh, so assuming that doesn't happen he's going to be around 40% um the, the the question is where that the, the rest of the field lands i i looking forward and we already touched on this a little bit i'm i'm curious if anybody has anything uh, they wanted to toss out that they're Looking at uh, watching for, I, it sounds like such a simple thing, but someone mentioned the crowd sizes. That does sort of start to inform things because we're, we're at the point now where um, these voters are kind of past the introduction phase. They're really giving consideration to these folks now, and they want to hear from the people they're thinking about. And that does start to show up in crowd size. So that's one thing I'll be looking for. Well, what's everybody else watching for in the next couple of weeks and months, if anything? I took the easiest one, and 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 nobody. <laughs> I guess uh, who's campaigning uh, here? Obviously, um, there's the news that Ron DeSantis has uh, really beefed up his Iowa staff uh, numbers and is gonna be campaigning here again this weekend. And if he, you know, he's he's trying to hit that 99 county tour. Um, 
Trump is also campaigning a lot here uh, the last in the next last month and, and next month. Um, so you know, obviously, the crowd size is is, is important, but um, I guess the number of who who thinks that they need to campaign more here to gain or hold on to their support is is an interesting question. I suppose also advertisements, um, TV advertisements, uh, digital advertisements. See who's who's where. Um, like I don't I don't have cable, but I watch Hulu, and I think the only candidate I've seen on Hulu advertisements is Nikki Haley. So, um, you know, I'm, I've, I know that like other candidates are advertising on traditional television, but, um, but it's just interesting to see like where people put their advertising dollars. Aaron, like the, uh, like the New York times near the end of the 2012 election, I'm going to be paying attention to the yard sign, uh, battles. <laughs> the yard signs. Oh goodness. Yeah. Uh, to, to, Caleb and Sarah, those are good ones. And in a similar vein, um, it, maybe I'll be trying to keep an eye on as best as we can, this kind of thing. Um, those campaign operations too, those get out the vote um, machinery, because it's one thing to, you know, go around and do town halls and speak at, um, you know, candidate events and speak to county parties. But um, the, the campaigns that have that structure and that apparatus that, that turns out caucus voters, um, those are obviously the ones that... Um, um, historically fare better. And, and there's really two so far that stand out in, 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 as of right now anyways. And this isn't to say that the others don't have that apparatus, but the, the Trump and DeSantis uh, far and away have, have the biggest machines moving right now. So um, um, it'll be interesting to see if other candidates are able to, to, to bulk up in that area. I, to, the, to that point, I was actually curious for, for everyone else, at least in, you know, our neck of the woods, which is the most Republican part of the state, I haven't seen any local campaign offices opening up yet. Now, granted, we're still in October, but I would think that those that would start happening pretty soon for anyone that's actually trying to win. Yeah, Caleb and I are the wrong ones to ask because we're here in Des Moines, which is where if anybody starts, that's where the first one goes. So, uh, Sarah or, or Tom, are, are there, do any candidates have any campaigns in HQs in Eastern Iowa? Yes. Um, and now for the, oh, uh, I believe Trump has um, uh, campaign headquarters here in uh, in Cedar Rapids. Um, now for the life of me, I, I'm, I'm blanking. Um, can't think if any of the other candidates do. Um, like you said, most of them are kind of um, clustered in the in the Des Moines area. Um, and then um, just to um, go back to to answer your your original question, one of the things that I'll be looking at um, to to some extent also is um, looking at uh, big endorsements that we might see yet to come. Right? Um, is Governor Kim Reynolds um, going to endorse? One. Is, is Governor yep. Kim Reynolds going to endorse anybody? Um, and, you know, normally endorsements, you know, don't don't do a whole lot. Um, but in this case, um, Governor Reynolds is incredibly popular in Iowa. Um, and, you know, an endorsement for her um, could be big for um, whomever that candidate is. Um, if she does endorse, I don't think it's going to be a big surprise as to who she probably will endorse. Um, and we've talked about that plenty on, on prior podcasts. Um, but I, I think that that could definitely be Im important and could help kind of um, shift some some momentum in the race um, to some extent as well. If we see endorsements from members of Iowa's uh, congressional delegation, if Randy Feenstra endorses somebody, if Ashley Hinson does, um, I, Zach Nunn, I think that those could uh, potentially, um, you know, have, have, have some impact 
Same with um, Bob Vanderplatz uh, from the family leader. Um, you know, an endorsement from him, you know, would be a, a signaling to um, Iowa's influential evangelical voters um, that could uh, potentially make a big difference for for a candidate. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good good reminder. All right. Hey, that was an awesome discussion. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Any uh, parting thoughts uh, before we we sign off on the the state of the caucus campaign? But that was a, if not, that was a really good discussion. Three more months to go. I was just going to say that you stole the words right out of my mouth. Literally. To the day as we record this, we record on Thursday afternoon, so it's it's the fifth as we record. So so exactly three months to the caucuses, which is wild to think uh, how far we've come. But uh, a lot will happen in these last three months uh, too. So when it does, we will be here to talk about it on future is it, episodes. Is it sorry, the fifteenth, Aaron? The the caucuses. the fifteenth. I'm sorry. Good catch. Thank you. I had the fifth in my head for some reason. It's the 15th. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> That's some live fact checking. Good job, Caleb McCullough. Well done. Yeah, MLK. Your service. <laughs> this is, again, why my uh, I never complain about my editors for, for moments exactly like this. Um, so, uh, so, yes, January, a little more than three months um, out we are now. That's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. We hope you would enjoyed it. If you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And don't forget to register for Iowa Ideas 2023, which is coming up next week. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, it's an annual conference put on by the Gazette where we discuss uh, literally dozens of issues uh, with leaders and stakeholders across the state. It's virtual, it's free, so it couldn't be any easier for you to participate. Go to um, iowaideas.com to check out the schedule and register for any of the sessions you'd like to uh, check out. And, and, and there, there are many great ones. Um, and so that's next week. All right. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times. Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Sound Thought will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. Great discussion today by the whole gang. Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman was all here, and it was all put together by our great producer, Stephen Colbert. I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you all for listening. I cannot recognize the places I adore The telephone will pierce the silence of the night Put on a blindfold and then I proceed to drive Can't dare to enter so I laid upon the grass Heard screams of sorrow to Now please
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.